Hey, hey, RWC fam, and welcome back to another episode of the KLS Pod. Today, you're stuck listening to me, and for those who didn't immediately recognize my voice, this is Nikki Vance, intramural sports graduate assistant. Typically, Gary has some jazzy podcast music in the intro of these podcasts, but um, I didn't want to mess with finding royalty-free music, so we're just going to go with this. Alrighty, so today I'm here with you to talk about choking. And no, I don't mean the kind of choking where you need the Heimlich. We're talking about messing up when it matters and a little bit of the psychology behind why we choke on big tests or at big on big moments. If you remember any of my previous KLS sessions, you know I'm a bit of a psychology nerd and I love the brain, so we're going to dive into why we choke. But I also know that all of you probably don't find this as intriguing as I do. So the main focus of this podcast is going to be tips and tricks for how not to choke on a big test um, and how not to bomb when it matters. So I figured this is especially important as we approach the final season. Um, but obviously, I didn't want it to be just about test taking because that's kind of boring. So in typical RWC in intramural fashion, I'll be bringing in some sports in the way of sport chokes and famous sport chokes that we have seen throughout history. So I hope you all enjoy the listen. Okay, so before we get started and really dive in, I figured it was important to give a little bit of background about choking. I wanna preface all of this by saying that all of my research and knowledge comes directly from the book Choke, what the secrets of the brain reveal about getting it right when you have to. And the book is written by Dr. Sian Bylock, and she's a cognitive scientist and an expert on performance and brain science. She studies how performance anxiety can be exacerbated, exacerbated, sorry, or alleviated, and the simple strategies we use to ensure success under pressure. So what exactly is choking? Choking under pressure is defined as poor performance that occurs in response to the perceived stress of a situation. And it's not just poor performance, it's suboptimal performance. So we perform worse than expected um, given what we are capable of doing, and it's worse than what we've done in the past. So choking is most noticeable when an opportunity to win is squandered, or perhaps because this is when the pressure to excel is at its is at its highest. It's not random and it occurs in response to highly stressful situations. So choking can happen to individual athletes, it can happen to actors, it can happen to musicians, and of course it can happen to all of us as students. Choking in sports and music has similarities to choking on a big test in school, um, but it's also important to know that there are differences. So although we're going to focus on choking during the big test, I first want to take a look at some of our famous sport chokes. So the first one we're going to look at is a NFL choke, courtesy of the New Orleans Saints. It's a play known as the River City Relay. And for a little bit of background, the Saints were down seven with time expiring um, in the game, and they needed a win to be a playoff contender. So a remarkable play against the odds led to one of the biggest chokes in the past 20 years. Let's go ahead and take a listen. The number seven worst play of all times. The River City Relay Extra Point fails. Welcome everyone who has just joined us here as the Saints need to win today and next week against Dallas and get help in order to make the playoffs. 
awesome. It was a big moment. And, you know, we're neck and neck with a couple other people for that final wild card spot. What makes our number seven worst play so bad is that it comes on the heels of a remarkable finish. Down by seven to Jacksonville, the Saints had one last shot to keep their playoff hopes alive. That play will become known as the River City Relay. Two wideouts to the left, one to the right. From the shotgun, Brooks pumps, throws down the near sideline to Stallworth, and Stallworth tries to get away from some people and does to the 38-yard line. He needs a block. He needs a couple. There, They're going to lateral the ball to Michael Lewis. Michael Lewis tries to stay alive. He'll lateral it to Deuce. Deuce needing help. He laterals across the field, and the Saints are going to take it in with Payton. If this is legal, they've no. done it. No. Uh-uh. Jerome Payton <laughs> diving into the end zone. I mean, you can't tell me that I just witnessed what I just saw take place. Alrighty. As you just heard, the Saints did the impossible, right? All they need now is a successful PAT to send them into overtime and keep their playoff hopes alive. No stress, right? But luckily for them, their kicker, John Carney, hasn't missed a PAT all season. And in fact, he's so good that earlier in the season, Coach Hazlitt stated to the media that he, the coach, trusted Carney so much he'd stake his life on him. All right, so let's take a listen and see how that paid off for them. All sorts of incredible plays along the line for the Saints to stay alive, pending the extra point by John Carney. And he missed No! It. He missed the extra point wide right. Oh my God, how could he do that? This one is over as John Carney misses his first extra point of the season. And there you have it, a major sports choke. Now, this is not obviously, this is not a standalone example. And obviously, there are a lot of other examples we can think of. So I just wanted to take a second to look um, or listen to some of those other examples. So the first one, the Yankees blowing their 3-0 game lead to the Boston Red Sox in the 2004 American League Championship Series. This is one of the first chokes that I remember in my lifetime as just being such a huge deal so this is one of my favorite to go back to also not really a Yankees fan so I loved seeing Boston come back um, another big choke was DePaul University's Skip Dillard who was a reliable free throw shooter during the regular season and he was so reliable in fact that his teammates called him money however with 12 seconds left on the clock a one-point lead against St. Joseph in the second round of the 1981 NCAA tournament. Dillard missed the first shot of a one-on-one -on -one opportunity, and St. Joseph scored to win the game. So again, another big choke, this time just in basketball. Um, a hockey example. In 1986, the ice hockey playoffs between the Flames and the Oilers, otherwise known as the Battle of Alberta, the Oilers shot themselves in the foot literally when Steve Smith attempted a cross ice pass pass near his own net. The pass struck his goaltender's skate and ended up in his own goal. The Oilers never recovered and lost the game 3-2. They lost the series and their chance for a repeat world series or world championship. Sorry. And then we have Jana Novotna 
who was one of the had one of the greatest breakdowns in Wimbledon history in the 1993 finals. She lost the first set to Steffi Graf 6-7, but then won the second set 6-1. In the third and final set, she was one point away from going up 5-1, but instead she double faulted, which means she missed her serve twice and lost the game. She also lost the next four games in a row and thus lost the Grand Slam title. Michelle Kwan is another example. She was a fan and a judge favorite to win the gold in the 2002 Winter Olympics. And despite the fact that she led after the short program, uh, she's an ice skater for anybody who doesn't know, um, in her final long skate, she was visibly stiff and on a two-footed and two-footed a combination and then fell on a triple flip. So Sarah Hughes took the gold over her. She had also choked four years earlier and not won the gold, although she was a favorite in that Olympics as well. And the last one, which is similar to the one we listened to the audio of, on January 17th, 2010, the San Diego, San Diego Chargers place kicker missed not one, not two, but three field goal attempts in a 17-14 loss to the New York Jets in the AFC Divisional Playoffs. He missed a 36-yard attempt in the first quarter, wide left, a 40-yard in the fourth quarter, wide right, and he hadn't missed a field goal from 40 yards or closer all season. But in the divisional playoffs, when the pressure was on, his kicking went down the drain. So as you can see, choking isn't exactly uncommon. And just like athletes choke during big moments, we as students can choke on big tests. The book goes into a ton of details about why athletes choke, why students choke, the differences between the sexes, and even choking in the business world. But we're going to stick with the strategies to avoid choking on a big test. So let's go ahead and get started. All right, so we're going to get to some strategies, but first, why do we choke on big tests? So when stakes are so high, even highly experienced performers feel pressure to succeed. So like we just mentioned, even the best highly skilled athletes can choke when the pressure is high. Likewise, even the best students can choke under high stakes. For us, this includes sitting for high stakes tests. It could be an important midterm or a really important final that you feel the need to ace, or it could be a test that might help your admittance into a graduate program or further education like the LSAT, the GRE, or the MCAT. Um, and what's crazy is that the higher powered students, so those that have the most working memory, um, those who we consider to be the smartest or the brightest, are the ones who fail under pressure the most often. So if you are considered a very bright student or your friends think of you as being very smart, your teachers think of you as being very smart, you are unfortunately at the greatest risk of failure. But why is this? Under pressure, highly powered students panic and it causes them to use shortcuts for problem solving that they typically don't use. And using these shortcuts hurts their outcomes. This doesn't happen with lower powered students because those students are already using those shortcuts to begin with and thus the outcome for them is the same. So I think that as college students, we can all consider ourselves highly powered students um, and thus we're at a greater risk of choking and at a greater risk of failure. And so if we take these strategies that I'm about to talk to you into account, I think it can help all of you as we look at finals um, coming up here in the next couple weeks. 
So one of the first strategies that we look at is stalling. Um, pausing in the middle of a challenge can actually prevent you from going down the wrong solution track. So just, you know, taking a breath um, and taking a step back to really evaluate what you're about to do. Now, it is important to know that sometimes this backfires. And like I talked about earlier, sometimes music and sport strategies differ slightly from academic strategies. So this is one of those examples. Um, when we rely on procedural memory, which is the stuff we don't have to consciously think about, um, too much concentration can be a bad thing. So if you think about this in, the ter in terms of sports, if you're playing basketball and you go up to shoot a free throw, you don't want to think about every single step you need to take to shoot a free throw. You want to let your muscle memory take over and just shoot the free throw. You don't think, you just do, you let your body take over. For the same reason this strategy doesn't work for sports is if you think about icing a kicker. So we call a timeout before a big kick so that the kicker has to go sit on the sideline and think about the kick he's about to make and how, all the ways he can mess it up, right? So. In this case, for sports, the strategy is not the best, but it does help us in academia. Um, we call this strategy pausing the choke. So for difficult problem-solving situations, jumping in at full speed can negatively affect your scores, especially in problem-solving in sciences. So any of our STEM majors, any of our engineers, this is going to be especially important for you. So by pausing, um, we need to be slower to begin our problem and slower to put pencil to paper. So you're gonna to wanna to take a few moments to assess the underlying structure of the problem that you're reading and figure out the best principles to use. Again, this is gonna be the most helpful in something like physics and engineering, which I know doesn't apply to all of you, but it's still helpful for some of those other courses as well. By rushing to get started, you can get distracted by irrelevant problem details. And so pausing to assess the situation before you start a difficult problem is one way to ensure your success, especially if your first inclination is to look for the quickest and easiest way out of the problem. So when you read a difficult problem, instead of getting caught up in all of the little details, you want to take a second, you know, breathe, pause, and think through the problem. You don't want to immediately start writing or immediately start trying to solve it. You want to take a step back and look at it um, with a wider angle, I would say. You can even, if it's not time sensitive, so say you're working on a homework problem, you can walk away from the problem for a few minutes. You'll let go of your focus on the irrelevant things and the irrelevant details, and you'll think in a new way and start to start to form alternative perspectives. So sometimes we think of this as the aha moment, um, and that's the moment that can lead us to success. So if you've ever been working on a problem and you're like, I can't solve this, and you just move on, and you're working on a different problem completely unrelated, and all of a sudden your brain clicks and you're like, bam, aha, I just figured out how to solve this last problem. That's what we're talking about. Sometimes when you're so in the weeds with a problem, you just can't seem to solve it. And so that's when you need to step away or look at something else. Um, so this goes into our next strategy, which is don't run full steam ahead. You really wanna take time to take a step back, like I just talked about. Your ability to perform difficult tasks declines over time, um, much the way that muscles get tired after exercise. So if you think about when you go into the gym, you're not gonna go and sit on the bench press and just knock out 100 like reps on bench press like it's no problem and not feel slightly tired at the end of it. So if you just did a really difficult problem, 
maybe give yourself that short recovery time, that short little break, and then take on a second problem. You're going to come back a little bit more rejuvenated. Again, that can be like 30 seconds to a minute to just, okay, stop, relax for a second, and then I can move on. Um, is important because those high-powered people that I was mentioning earlier, so you know the smartest, the brightest, the best students, aka all of us, um, tend to use the most cognitively demanding strategies to solve a problem. So we're using the strategies that are going to be the best solution to the problem, but they also the, demand the most from our brain. So again, think about your brain as a muscle. We're working that muscle so hard that sometimes we need to give it that short break and short recovery time. Even if you feel like you don't have time to to catch your breath. So if you're in a test that's timed and you just really need to get it done, it'll take a second because it's better than rushing into it and then going down the wrong path. So that 30 seconds of, who oh, give my brain a break, I got this, is going to help you because now you're gonna be able to look at that new problem with a fresh perspective, a little bit of you know relaxation in between, and you're not gonna go down that wrong path. So yes, you just took 30 seconds, but now you can solve the problem right away. Instead of not taking the 30 seconds, rushing full steam ahead, going into the next problem and starting to solve it wrong. Because when you start to solve a problem incorrectly, you just waste time. Whereas if you just would have taken that 30 seconds to breathe, um, give yourself a small mental break, it's gonna help you. Um, and so this can be reminding yourself even at the end of a stressful problem to take a break, or it could be when you're about to start a problem on a test, just give yourself a second to breathe, you got this, and then move on. So one of the great ways that we can prepare um, for this, since obviously we can't work on pausing the choke until we're within the test, is we can practice under the gun. So practicing under the gun is like pressure training yourself. Um, even practicing under mild levels of stress can prevent people from falling victim to the dreaded choke when high levels of stress come around. So uh, scientific studies have shown that even when we put ourselves under a little bit of stress, it helps us in higher stress, stress situations. So simulating low levels of stress um, helps prevent cracking under increased pressure because people who practice this way learn to stay calm, they learn to stay cool and collected in the face of whatever comes their way. So as I was thinking about this, I thought back to high school basketball practice, right? So at the end of every practice, our coach would make us shoot free throws. But obviously just going to the line and shooting a free throw is not the same as being in a gym, having people watching you and your team counting on you to not miss that free throw. So we always have to practice with a little bit of pressure. A lot of the times the way we did that was you would go in front of your whole team and if you made your free throw at the end of practice, practice was done, everybody got to go home, go to the locker room, boom, finished. However, if you missed your free throw, your entire team was going to run, right? So it's not quite the same as being in a game, but it's still a low stress situation because Ooh, you do not want to be the teammate that misses the free throw and makes everybody run instead of sending them to the locker rooms to go home after a rough practice. Likewise, during quarantine, I've been watching The Greatest, greatest British Bake Off, which is a great show. Highly recommend to everyone if you just like that kind of stuff. Anyway, there are people on this show, um, and basically the way the show is set up is they only cook on the weekends and then they go home to their families during the week. 
And so they have time to practice their upcoming recipes. And so you'll see during the show as they're going through these timed bakes under a lot of pressure that some people will talk about practicing um, and some people will talk about practicing where they actually put their, themselves in a timing situation. So some of them have practiced, but in, for a bake that takes them, that they only have three hours for, maybe they did it over like the course of a day. So there's no pressure there. And lo and behold, those people who always say they didn't put a timer on themselves at home are the people who crack under pressure. They're the people who cakes don't turn out or who messes something up. Um, but the people who are like, yeah, I practiced this, I did it in the time, it went really well, those are the people who always like win the challenge of the week. And so this is, again, a silly example, um, but another example of how practicing under pressure can help you on your actual stressful performance. So how can we apply this for school? Um, the easiest way that I think about applying this for school is taking timed practice tests or just timing your responses. So if you know that your test you're only going to have an hour to take and it's so many multiple choice questions maybe you don't want to spend an hour taking a practice practice exam but maybe you can try and knock out as many questions in 15 minutes as you can and so you go through a bunch of your practice problems but you put a timer on them so that you have to answer 10 questions in 15 minutes or something that is relative to what you know the test will be like that way it's not the same pressure but it's Still putting that kind of pressure on yourself to make sure that you have at least mild pressure going into the test and you're prepared. Um, practicing under the types of pressure that you're likely to face in an important game or in a, during an important test can help really ensure high levels of performance when it counts. Another great example of this is practicing on-the-spot interview questions. So if you're about to graduate, you're about to go to a job, most of the time we just don't show up to a job interview and like hope that we answer the questions well, right? Um, you're gonna wanna practice those. So maybe that practice looks like Googling job questions or interview questions, and then you have your roommate ask you them and you answer them on the spot right there. And then you take time to reflect and think about how you could have done it better. This is gonna prepare you for when you're in that room and that person asks you a question that you're just like, uh, I don't know, um, but now you've practiced some of those harder questions, and so you're prepared to come up with those quick responses. You've already thought about your experiences and how they're transferable, um, and so it just really helps you take off some of that pressure and you feel more prepared. So again, it can help you in sports, it can help you in sports and athletics, it can help you in academia, it can help you when you're looking for jobs. Um, it's just a really great strategy to use. And if you are used to operating under pressure to begin with, you'll be less likely to choke when it matters. So again, just finding situations where you can put yourself under pressure that's going to simulate kind of what the pressure testing situation would look like or whatever whatever other problem you could get yourself into, simulate that problem, simulate that pressure, and you're gonna be less likely to choke. So, so far we've taken a look at, I think, three tips and tricks, and we still have more to go, but I know that just listening to me talk isn't very fun, um, so I wanted to take a quick break to listen to another sports choke. So we just talked about practicing under the gun and putting pressure on yourself. So I figured we might as well look back at the 1993 NCAA tournament. 
I know none of you listening were probably even born yet, um, but I think you'll recognize the athletes. So it's the national championship game and Michigan is playing UNC. And yes, when I say Michigan, we're talking that Michigan team, you know, the one that they refer to as the Fab Five. Um, so Michigan was trailing 73-71, and with 19 seconds left in the game, Chris Weber snags a rebound after a UNC free throw. And I'm gonna let you listen to what happens next on the audio, the play call of the game. Long, a two to tie. Michigan will have to bring it. Oh, he walked. He walked and the referee missed it. Weber brings it into the front court. They have no timeouts remaining. Oh, he causes he too many timeouts. That's a technical foul. He called a timeout. Michigan doesn't yes. have any. He got by with a walk, and Jimmy calls a technical. He, he calls a timeout. He doesn't realize that's Michigan's too many, and so it'll be a technical foul. North Carolina shooting and the ball. A huge mental mistake. Alrighty, so obviously Chris Weber chokes. And I like this play and this choke because it's actually a double choke if you think about it. First, Weber travels and takes an extra step that's somehow missed or overlooked by the officials, right? Choke number one. But he gets lucky. And so that choke doesn't really count, I guess. But then he drives on the right baseline and he calls a timeout with 11 seconds remaining, even though they don't have one left. They don't have a timeout. They can't use it. Now UNC gets to go to the line and shoot free throws, and UNC is going to end up winning that game 77 to 71. So in this case, that choke was a little bit more of a mental lapse than like, a, oh, he missed a really big free throw. But nonetheless, it's still a choke. So I hope you enjoyed that little break. But now it is time to go back into some of our strategies for success. Um, so we were previously talking about practicing under pressure. Um, and that can kind of go along with this next strategy, which is training for success. So practice can actually change the physical wiring of our brain to support exceptional performance. Um, and so our weights analogy that we used earlier, just like when you're lifting weights, sometimes you need to take a break. You also need to help develop your muscles. Um, and so you would be doing a lot of different reps if you were working out and lifting weights to help develop muscles. Um, you don't just grow muscles overnight, you know, whatever. But similarly, you have to practice to shape your brain and to really build some of those muscles, some of that wiring, some of those connections. And so one great way to train for success or to practice is to um, like tear down all of your information into little manageable bits. And one of the really common ways to do this is by using mnemonic strategies. Um, and they can aid anyone and basically everyone in trying to remember information for big tests or presentations. Um, so as I was thinking of some mnemonic strategies, I thought to ones that I like readily think of, right? Like Roy G. Biv, how did we all remember our colors of the rainbow? I don't know anybody well, I shouldn't say that, but I know that I learned Roy G. Biv. Um, also, anytime I think of the planets, I automatically go to my very excellent mother just served us nine pizzas. And yes, I know that pizzas slash Pluto is technically not a planet anymore, but that's still what I think of. It's just a simple mnemonic device that helped me learn something when I was little, and it's so impactful that I still remember it. 
Um, a lot of you math people will remember PEMDAS, or please excuse my dear Aunt Sally, is how we said it. That's your order of operations in an equation, right? So parentheses, et cetera, et cetera. Um, when you think of directions, I think of never eat soggy waffles, right? North, east, south, west helps you remember which order they go in. And admittedly, I still use it today because directions are not my strong suit. Uh, another one was kill hairy ducks, but drown certain mallards. So I have learned that this is not as common. And because I grew up with a math teacher as a dad, that that's the only reason I know this one, but it's actually the metric conversion chart. So kill hairy ducks, kilo, hecto, deca, but is the base, and decicentimilli is drown certain mallards. Kill hairy ducks, drown certain mallards. So again, this is something silly, but it helped me learn something so easily. And it's still something that we can use today. Um, so I actually just took my comps exam, um, much like a lot of the other GAs. And one of our things that we had to remember were these decision-making models, which were seven steps. I'm terrible at remembering steps, so I just made a mnemonic and it was pig 4 c which is dumb. And I will admit that it is dumb, but it helped me because pig 4 c stood for P-I-G and then C-C-C-C, which was the first letter of all of the important words in the steps. So pig 4 c helped me remember, remember problem, issue, guidelines, consultation, courses, consequences, and then shoes. Um, and this was Tarvidas's ethical decision-making model, which none of you actually care about. Um, but it's just a way that these mnemonic devices that we used when we were little are still really helpful today when you're trying to remember complicated things and you need to break it down into a little bit smaller. Um, and athletes' tendency to overthink big performances is one of the big predictors of whether they will choke in important games or matches. So just like us, as students, if we think or overthink a test, um, that's when we're gonna start to choke in some of those important games or important matches, even if you feel prepared, just don't overthink it. And so simple strategies like these, like these mnemonics or just anything else that you can think of to really break your information down into manageable bits is going to be helpful for you. Um, so like I just said, when we overthink things, that's when we start to choke. Um, so there's actually a self-fulfilling prophecy. And just being negatively stereotyped is enough to drive down performance. Um, so stereotype threat is a common threat that people take when they go to take tests. Um, and it's most dramatic for girls who are highly skilled and interested in excelling at what, at what is being tested on. So when highly capable women are made aware of how they should perform, they recruit additional working memory and emotional centers in the brain to deal with that information. So when a girl is told, oh, you're a girl, you suck at math, um, or even if she has to check a box that says, yes, I am a female before taking a test, she has to deal with that negative stereotype of girls aren't good at math, right? And so then brain power that was going to be used on the test is now having to be diverted and devoted to kind of redirecting that worry and control. So instead of having 100% brain power and brain capacity going to working on the test, now there's some of that that's getting pulled over to work on this, oh no, I'm worried because I'm a girl and we're not supposed to be good at math. Even if you don't believe that stereotype, 
being reminded of that stereotype as somebody in that demographic is going to hurt your performance and be more likely to choke. And that's not just with females. It can happen to anybody if you are reminded that, oh, there's a negative stereotype associated with you or somebody thinks you are going to do poorly on this test. If you're thinking about that, it can lead to you actually doing poorly on that test because now you're devoting brain power to it. So people don't perform badly because of some inherent inferior ability, but because they're actually aware of how they should perform or how people think they should perform. And people who are highly skilled and place a great deal of importance on their ability are hardest hit by negative assumptions about whether they can succeed. So again, the highly capable people are the ones who are going to suffer most. So if you're sitting in a test, um, and that the professor makes some offhanded comment that enforces a negative stereotype about you, um, even if it's like, oh yeah, the freshman in this class never passed my test, and you're a freshman who's very well prepared, well guess what, now you have to divert a little bit of brain power into solving that negative stereotype, and you're gonna, going to do less well on that test. So what you need to do instead is start to reframe some of those perspectives and work on positive interpretations. So when people are in stressful situations, cortisol is secreted in higher levels. And it, cortisol is often referred to as the stress hormone. But when you start getting some of those stressful responses, like, oh crap, I am a freshman, I'm not gonna do very well on this test because he just said so, you need to redirect what you're feeling. Um, and so interpreting the situation and your bodily response in a positive rather than a negative light maybe the key to performing well when it really counts most. So all of a sudden your blood's pumping and you're starting to get worried. Instead of thinking, oh no, here comes the heart attack or like, oh no, oh, I'm not gonna do very well, like I can feel it, like this isn't gonna go well. You can reframe it as something like, okay, here comes the adrenaline rush, we need to refocus. Or okay, I got this, my blood's pumping, I'm ready to go. Um, and if you interpret your body's response as positive or as a call to action, like a let's go, we got this, you're more likely to thrive and more likely to do well. If you interpret um, that response in a bad way or you're in a bad place with no way out and your worries start to ruminate, um, that's when you're going to be more likely to choke. So try and push positive interpretations of situations and push out the negative. Um, and one way that you can do this, which again is a strategy that seems kind of chilly, silly sometimes, but it's to write away your worries. And so writing about your worries before a test or presentation is actually proven to present, prevent choking. Um, a scientific study actually backs this up and under the same pressure and with students with the same abilities le ability levels, People who journaled about their worries for 10 minutes performed roughly 15% better on the same test than those who didn't journal about their worries. So I know journaling is coming up as we talk more about mental health, and some people really like it, but some people are more averse to it. Um, this study has really shown that even if you just take a couple minutes to write down what you're worried about, it's going to help you kind of put that worry on paper, and then it's not going to be as big of an issue when you go into your test. You just want to get it off your chest. Um, disclosing 
seems to be good for the body and for the mind. So again, write it down, even if it's on a scrap piece of paper, even if it's in the corner of your assignment book or just something, writing it down and putting those feelings into words is going to help you. Um, and that's because putting your feelings into words actually changes how your brain deals with stressful information. So if you're worried, if you're feeling really worried, even if you're walking to class, maybe you don't have a piece of paper, text one of your friends and be like, ooh, I'm really worried about this test. This is why I'm worried, blah, blah, blah. If you don't want to text one of your friends because you feel like that's embarrassing or humiliating, put it in your note section. Just put those feelings into words so that you can, you've kind of dealt with it and now you can move on and just focus on succeeding at that test. Okay, and then finally, our last strategy. Um, this is positive affirmation, which if you remember my KLS from last year, it was all about positive psychology. Um, and this kind of plays into that. But positive affirmation is telling yourself good things. Um, so think about aspects of yourself that are conducive to success. Um, think about ways that you are enough and that you can propel yourself to top performance and prevent choking. So you just want to tell yourself those things. Um, an example, if we go back to the whole females are bad at math thing, right? So when females were told they're bad at math, they need to have some positive affirmation. So maybe there's a female sitting in the room that's like, you know what, I was bad at math, but I took calculus as a sophomore in high school, you know, something like that. That is a positive affirmation that I am good at this. I am enough. Um, maybe you didn't take calculus as a sophomore in high school because you're not a kid genius. Um, but maybe you got an A in the last class you took and you can tell yourself, no, I am very smart. I can do this. I have this under control. Um, I actually did a scientific study with Asian American females um, because when we think of math, we think of females as being poor performers, but the Asian stereotype is that they're really good at math. So the females who were presented with both and focused on the fact that they were Asian and good at math, did better on the math tests. Again, this is stereotyping, um, but the scientific study showed that that positive affirmation or thinking about an aspect of them that is conducive to success, so in their case, I'm Asian, I'm good at math, I've got this, was helpful. Um, so as we look at positive affirmation, we wanna reaffirm our self-worth. Uh, we need to remind ourselves um, that we have the background to succeed and that you are in control of the situation. So I've got this, I'm in control of the situation, I've studied really hard for this, or um, I've paid attention in all of my classes, I've shown up. You know, things like that are gonna be words of affirmation that you can use. Some people will say, feel silly saying this out loud, but even if it's that positive like self-think, it's gonna be helpful. If you can stand in a mirror and say it to yourself looking in the mirror, um, again, you're going to feel a little silly, but it's going to help you with that positive affirmation and that feeling good and positive about yourself and giving you that ability to succeed. So some of the words of affirmation that can help you on a test are, I am intelligent, I am worthy, I am capable, fear does not control me, I am confident, I am competent, I have a purpose. I am enough, I can do this, I can do hard things, 
and I was born for this. I've got this. Obviously, you don't have to say all of them. You can pick some that you like. You can pick one as your mantra that you can go over and over. You can pick another one that I didn't mention. But using some of this positive affirmation is scientifically proven to help you perform better on tests, propel you to success, and prevent choking. So that is the last of our strategies that we will go over for test taking, but I do just want to mention that if this is really interesting to you or you want to dive even further into a lot of these strategies, um, you should definitely check out the book Choke, again that's by C.N. Bilak, and it's going to dive more into choking in sports, it dives into choking in music, um, it also talks about choking in the business world and a lot of other examples. They do refer to sports as examples often, um, but they also refer to students and the situations that make sense with that type of choke. So we focus on choking in school and bombing tests, um, but if you wanna learn more about choking, definitely check out the book. Um, with that being said, I just want to wish you all good luck with the rest of the semester and especially good luck with finals, hopefully, something in this KLS pod was helpful to you and you are going to be able to step away from it um, having learned something. Um, so like I did throughout the rest of the podcast, I want to finish on a positive note. Um, so we're going to play a little clip that talks about a near choke that was able to get turned around. So uh, we're just going to listen to Jason Hayward after the Chicago Cubs won the World Series in 2016. Um, it kind of re relates, it's not the like best example of saving a choke, but I take every opportunity that I can to play Cubs World Championship stuff. Um, so if you aren't familiar with what happened, the Cubs had this lead, basically they blew it, they go into the 10th inning, um, they're kind of still blowing it, a rain delay happens, Jason Hayward takes them all in, he is an outfielder, um, guy on the team takes them all in during the rain delay they have a little like team powwow build up that positive affirmation talk about all the good things they do they've got this they come back out after the short rain delay and boom go on to win the world series thanks joe jason hayward top of the 10th inning a rain delay you call a team meeting tell me why you did it what was said i just had to remind them who they were i just had to remind everybody who we are who these guys are, what we will come to get here. Win or lose, we never worry about that. Approaching every day, beginning of every day, we never worry about win or loss. We just worry about how we're gonna go out there, have fun, compete, be right there for the guys next to us and, and not take the situation for granted. So I just had to remind them that, man, I'm, I'm proud of them. I say it all the time, but I'm proud of these guys. This team was down three games to one. You blew a lead with four outs to go. What is it about the Cubs that made them world champions? Every time we got asked to do something this year, I'm telling you, Tom, every time we answered it, every single time these guys pissed off, wanting to be the guy to do it, didn't get a chance to do it, whatever it is, for whatever reason, but these guys overcame that for the guys in the clubhouse, man. And outstanding job. We got great leadership. Coaching staff's awesome, unbelievable. Ownership, front office, man, they let us do our thing. They gave us everything we, we could ever ask for to try and get a job done. And, you never know what's going to happen, but they believed in us. Tonight, you're a world champion. Congratulations. Thanks, I appreciate it. Now to Ken Rosenthal. Alrighty, again, thank you all for sitting and listening to me talk. I hope that this was helpful. 
and I've said it before, but best of luck with finals. If you ever want to talk about any of this with me, um, feel free to shoot me an email, nicole.vance at ucf.edu. And also make sure to fill out the Qualtrics form for this KLS. Thanks, y'all. I appreciate you.